Today we're going to talk about fire. We're going to talk about how to prepare for a fire, how to survive when you're in the fire. And the fact is that some of you today would say, yeah, I'm in a, in a fire. Now, there was a book uh, a few years ago that uh, was the number one bestseller. It sold over 10 million copies, the worst-case scenario survival handbook. How many of you have ever read that, looked at it? So, um, it is a book that uh, spawned a whole series of related books. Uh, had a, a TV show. They had games out with it. But the book was basically a manual and it was, had expert advice on how to survive. And so they had these small chapters in the book on things like how to escape from quicksand or how to survive if your parachute fails to open and you've already jumped out of the plane. And, and so what this book does is it gives these uh, detailed step-by-step instructions of what to do to better your chances of survival. And so I thought it'd be fun to see how savvy we are here in the River Bend area. And I'm going to give you a question, and then I'll give you some uh, possibilities. But what would you do if you were confronted by an angry mountain lion? All right? I'm going to give you four options. One of them's the correct option. A, run. B, play dead. C, make yourself look bigger. Or D, sing a gentle, happy song. All right, so run is A, play dead's B, C, make yourself look bigger, D, sing a gentle, happy song. Now, what I want you to do, turn to your neighbor and tell them the correct answer. Go ahead. All right, how many of you said D, sing a gentle, happy song? Wrong. <laughs> what, like, the lion sleeps tonight. <laughs> According to the handbook, it's C. You know, make yourself look bigger, all right? Now, I've been thinking about this, and I've got some advice, two things. This is my personal advice. One, stay out of the mountain lion enclosure at the zoo, And then you won't be in this situation, right? Two, if you do find yourself in this situation, again, this is my advice, look at who you're with, assess whether you can outrun them, and you've got another option now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the author of the book says that the principle behind the book is very simple. You just never know when things are going to turn. You just never know when you might have to make a decision where your actions will be the difference between life and death. Now, if you wait till the crisis hits, they would say you've waited too long. Because in that moment, you need to know ahead of time, you need to know what to do. And the author says that's why he wrote the book. What I want to do today, we're going to look at three young men that found themselves in what I would say was a worst-case scenario. It's a life-or-death situation. You remember uh, last week, uh, we've got King Nebuchadnezzar. He's having these troubling dreams. And you remember Daniel and his three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they, they pray, and they ask God to reveal to them 
the, the dream that the kings had, and also the interpretation. And Daniel, through a vision from God, he is able to tell the king what his dream was, and he's able to interpret it. And so Daniel tells the king, he says, that his kingdom, Babylon, will fall. We left things last week. Nebuchadnezzar was praising Daniel, and he was worshiping God as the God of gods. But today, we're going to find that things take a turn for the worst. Now, I'm not sure why maybe Nebuchadnezzar's insecurity drove him, maybe the thought that he was going to lose his kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar calls for a national observance. He gathers the nation, and he's dedicating an image of gold. We're told in Scripture it's 90 foot tall. And so Scripture says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations of people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zitter, the the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, I want you to think about in that crowd. Can you feel the tension in the crowd that day? It says, he goes on, he says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar has turned up the heat, literally. Kind of thing. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered nation after nation. So what he has created is a nation of captured people. Different nations, different languages, different cultures. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a pretty sharp leader. He is concerned that Babylon has become culturally diverse. So much so, he's concerned that it's going to split the nation apart. Nebuchadnezzar decides that what he's going to do, he's going to bring the nation together. That's why he gathers everybody. And he's going to create a unity in the nation by worshiping this one idol. So by royal decree, the music sounds. Everybody bows down, just as the king commanded. Everybody except three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now you need to remember they were prisoners. Remember them? They're living in exile in Babylon. They were drugged from Israel to there. They, they've been taken from their families. They even had their names changed. Remember that? They were changed by the king because the king was hoping that they would lose their sense of identity, their allegiance to, to their God. And so everybody's gathered around this statue. What the statue stood for, it's left kind of vague in Scripture. There's no name given to the statue. I've often wondered if maybe the statue was done in the likeness of Nebuchadnezzar. We have no idea. Again, I want you to remember this is a polytheistic culture. So the king is throwing in one more god. It wouldn't have been a big deal. But just in case there's somebody in this crowd that's thinking about not bowing down, failure to comply gets you a trip to the furnace. Burning ring of fire. 
going to get burned alive. Do you have the picture now? This vast crowd. If you read the whole story, you find there are a lot of dignitaries, a lot of leaders in the crowd. Daniel's apparently not there. We, we don't really know, know why he's just absent in the story, but we assume that he wasn't there that day. People now are, are gathered around. People are highly motivated, highly motivated. They hear the music, and it is like a race to see who can hit their knees first. It's a race to show how devoted they are, to show off for the king a little bit. Everybody is bowing down. The music stops. It is silent. And then there must have been some commotion. And it kind of has that rippling effect in the crowd. And all of a sudden, nobody is looking at the statue anymore. It looks like, possibly, enormous courage or suicidal stupidity. But three young men are still standing. They will not bow their heads. They will not bend a knee. They just stand. These three men... They have powerful enemies. You remember last week we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They had risen rapidly in the hierarchy of Babylon. The astrologers were not happy with these guys, especially after being shown up on the whole dream thing. I mean, the astrologers, particularly, Scripture says, they see it as a chance to make a play. They're vying for power here. Scripture says that they denounce the Jews before the king. It, it, that whole idea of intense uh, hostility toward them. Scholars believe this might be the first historical account of religious persecution. These three young men get brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar, he he questions them. He asks them if it's true that they didn't bow down and worship. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like their answer. And I find it curious, but for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar decides he'll give them another chance. Scripture goes on and says, this is the king talking to to these boys. He goes, now, when you hear the sound of the horn... The flute, zitter, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready, see, if you're ready now, to fall down and worship the image I made very good. In other words, if you do it now, we'll we'll let this whole thing go. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands. Then what God will be able to rescue you? It's a a rhetorical question. The king asks it. He's not looking for information. He's not looking for them to answer. He's making a point here. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my parents, they had a favored rhetorical question they would ask me. 
Do you want a spanking? How many of you, how many of you heard that one? <laughs> Damon, do you want a spanking? Well, I, I was going to go out and play, but uh, now that you mention it, um, I think maybe my character would benefit from a spanking. Yeah, I'm in, you know. Nebuchadnezzar, he asks, what God is able to rescue you from my hands? He's not looking for information. He is reminding them they do not have a choice. You know, these these three men don't treat it like a rhetorical question. Because, friends, when you have faith in a big God... A God who oversees the affairs of everything, you have options in life. Scripture goes on, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I mean, these are unbelievable words. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. From your majesty's hands. The God we serve is able. The God we serve is not a myth. Is not abstract. Is not some lovely idea that somebody conjured up. You know, he is not like that statue that you built. He's real. He made the heavens and the earth. He made everything. He stands above time and space and history. Our God is able. And our God's making himself known among the people. Our God is able to deliver us from the furnace. He's able to deliver us from your hands, king. Our God is able. Friends, that truth is a truth of such monumental power. Our God is able. Our God is able. You have options in life. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to cower because of human power that has limits. See, our God's able. I remember when I was a a little kid, my uh, dad, he would uh, come home from work, and uh, I would hear the car pull in the driveway, and I would race to the front porch. And sometimes, without even looking, I would just jump off the steps there. I knew my dad would catch me. One day, my mom, she caught me, and she said, Damon, you can't do that anymore. I mean, I was I was crushed. I mean, why not? She said, well, Damon, you know, it's not that your dad doesn't love you. He does. It's not that he won't be there for you. He will. It's just you're 52 years old and he's 72. (laughs) And his arms aren't as powerful as they used to be. (laughs) Friends, every pair of arms, every pair of arms will wear out. Someday. Every human being on this planet will find their limit. Real smart people, real powerful people, 
real, real clever people will find their limit in life. Nebuchadnezzar will find his limit. There will come a day. There will come an enemy. There will come a problem, a diagnosis, a disease, a loss. He will reach a certain age. Death will come. There will come a day when something will come that he can't overcome. But our God has not and will not lose strength. Our God is able. And friends, we're to live that way. We're to live not by fear every day, but with no fear. No matter what we face, no matter what the problem, no matter how deep the discouragement is in life, even if our emotions are screaming at us, our God is able. You know, we serve a God who's able. He's able to reconcile broken marriages. Friends, I have seen it. You know, we serve a God that can liberate people from horrible addictions. I have seen him do it. You know, we serve a God who's able to heal disease, who's able to forgive the vilest of sins. We serve a God who is able to make new creations. I've seen it over and over again. You know, a God that's able to provide for our greatest needs, a God that's able to to guide us and provide through supernatural wisdom, a God that's able to soften the hardest of hearts. In fact, some of you would not be here today if God wasn't able. I know I wouldn't be here if it weren't true. Our God is able. And if you don't remember anything else that we talk about today, I want you to remember our God is able. You know, my God is able. In fact, let's say that out loud together. My God is able. My God's able. Live like it. Live like it this week and next week and every day of your life. Our God is able. You know, when when you run into that problem... When somebody takes that cheap shot at you, somebody doesn't like you, when things aren't going your way, when you worry and it gets in your head and it starts playing, when the anxiety goes up, whatever, remember my God is able. You know, these three men, they lived by faith, not in fear. They lived that way because they knew that their God was that big. So they focused Not on the size of the furnace. Not on how hot the furnace was. They didn't focus on the power of Nebuchadnezzar. They focused on their God, a God who was able. And that just perpetuated and moved them forward. In fact, they're going to make a a statement that goes way beyond. It's a statement of devotion. These three young men, they're not superficial in their faith. Their faith did not emerge because life had been easy for them. And I'll tell you, friends, sometimes I see it in people's lives. People give these glib, real easy, kind of superficial, spiritual responses to life that have no depth at all, no roots. These three men, life has been exceptionally tough. I mean, think about it. They they would have prayed when Babylon was rising to power. They would have prayed 
when, when Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded Jerusalem, Jerusalem's small, Nebuchadnezzar and his army, they're threatening to conquer them. In fact, he would defeat them. I mean, they would have prayed when Jerusalem fell. They would have prayed when the best and the brightest were being taken back to Babylon. They would have prayed that they wouldn't be among them. But they were. They would have prayed, surely, when they heard the new decree. They would have prayed that maybe Nebuchadnezzar would repent and come to his senses. He didn't. Maybe they prayed that that decree would not be enforced, but it was. Maybe they would have prayed that because of Daniel's influence, that maybe the Jews would be excused. They weren't. They would have prayed that day, in that moment, that maybe nobody would notice that they didn't bow down. Maybe they prayed if people did notice that they wouldn't go tell. People told. That day they prayed. And they were disappointed. This nightmare, it was growing closer. I mean, now it it truly is a worst case scenario. Every door of escape, it's been closed as tight as it can be. And these young men, they, they testify once more. They say, if you throw us into that burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Our God can rescue us still. Our God's able. I mean, our God, he parted the sea when Pharaoh's army was bearing down. You know, our God made rubble of the walls of Jericho. Our God dropped a giant of a man named Goliath with just one stone. You know, our God, he spoke the world into existence. He holds the stars and the planets in place. Our God's strong. Our God is more than able. Our God is able. But even if he doesn't, your majesty may be sure that we will not worship your God and we will not bow down to the golden statue that you've set up. And friends, when I read that, I think, who, who are these guys? I mean, where, where does that kind of heart, how does it get created? We will not bow down. We will march to our death and we will sing praises to the one and only God. We will never stop and worship that idol that you've created. It will not happen. Our God's able, friends, it is a powerful truth. And our God's able to answer your deepest prayers able to fulfill your greatest desires, able to accomplish more than you could ask or ever imagine. But what about when he doesn't? See, there's the challenge. You know, I think about Job. Job, he goes through this intense suffering. Ends up losing everything at one point. He doesn't get an explanation, doesn't get relief. And Job, he says those words, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. You know, I think about Esther. 
Esther who decided that she would confront the king, this king that's bent on genocide. It meant a possible death sentence for her. And I love her words. She says, if I perish, I perish. Friends, a lot of us, Christians, listen up, a lot of us are tempted to pray, God, if you grant this one request, God, if you give me what I really want, I will spend the rest of my life serving you. Here's the question I have for you. Will you decide to have an even if he doesn't faith? Even if he doesn't, faith. It's a very different kind of faith. I mean, that's the real question, isn't it? Will you decide to have an even if he doesn't faith in your life? That's different. It's huge. I mean, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, God is able. But, I know some of you, your marriage has been a disappointment. You're struggling financially. Some of you are stressed out in your job. Some of you, your family's a mess. Some of you, your health is failing. Some of you are in a very precarious position. Some of you, the depression is overwhelming. God is able, but even if he doesn't, will you worship God anyway? See, here's the deal. Often the truth is, when things are going well, when it's good news, when the circumstances are right in our life, as we see them, we live with joy. We want to serve. We're motivated to tell other people about God. We're generous with our time and our money when things are going well. But friends, when you get close to the furnace, the burning fire, we tend to bow down. Bow down to God with a little g. We become self-absorbed, self-preoccupied, self-serving, self-pity kicks in. Because at the end of the day, the big idol, the really big idol, it's me. These three men, they say, our God's able. He can rescue us still. But King, we want you to know something. Even if he does not, we will not bow down to any other God. We will not waste our worship on this cheap idol. And upon hearing it, Nebuchadnezzar, he is moved by their devotion. Not. Scripture says Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. Some uh, scriptures say his face distorted at that point. A lot of anger, probably. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. These three men, 
they're waiting to be thrown into the flames. And they're facing it voluntarily. I mean, the whole time they're waiting, they know a single action would have spared their life. But they stand. Our God's able. We will not bow down. Scripture says that they bound them and they're, they're carrying them to the furnace. I mean, were, were they filled with courage? Fear? Defiance? Faith? I don't know. We know the furnace was so hot as the guards are throwing them into the fire. The guards collapse and die. Scripture says then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, were there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. See, he can't believe his eyes. He can't believe what he's seeing. He, he's thinking that his eyes are playing a trick on him. Scripture says, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I mean, who's that fourth man? I mean, someone that appeared out of nowhere. Somebody that could cheat death. Somebody that looks like the son of a god. You know, most scholars believe it was Jesus. And it's interesting to me because the king is watching very, very closely at what's going on. Because he's the first one. He looks in. He goes, we got a problem. The math isn't adding up here. Something's not right. I mean, why, why is he watching? If you're a Christian, the world watches. They watch you and me, especially when we're in the fire. See, I believe that the world is looking to see if Christianity works. I believe the world desperately wants to know if anything will work when you find yourself in the fires of life. And when they see a Christian surviving in the fire, I think they look and they go, that's something I want. I'm interested in that. Friends, you are on the world stage when you're in the fire, when you're relying on God, when you're walking with God. When people look at you in the fire and you're going through it, they will see that fourth person in the furnace. They will see that person in your life. They will see Jesus Christ. Nebuchadnezzar, he sees the, the fourth. He sees that fourth person. He, he sees them walking around in the fire. Apparently, the fire had burned off all the stuff that had bound them up. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's just blown away. These three young men, they had hoped 
that God would deliver them from the fire. The furnace, it looked like the end of their lives. But the furnace turned out to be the greatest experience of their life. Because in the furnace, they met God. Friends, this is the truth that should change how we live. God said it to those three young men. God says it to us sometimes. I will meet you in the furnace. I will meet you in the fire. And it is the place where full devotion will lead you. You know, it may look frightening. It may look dangerous. It may look painful. And do you know why it looks that way? Because it is. It is frightening. It is dangerous. It is painful. But it turns out to be the place where Jesus Christ is. I mean, maybe not in this world. But from an eternal perspective, it is the safest place in all the world. It is an adventure of a lifetime. You know, the king, he looks in the furnace And he yells for those three boys to come out. And these young men, they emerge from the fire. Everybody gathers around them. Says, the men were not burned. Their hair wasn't scorched. And their clothes don't even smell like smoke. I love that. (laughs) They don't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar praises the God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He declares a new decree throughout the land. He declares that the God of these three young men, that nobody can speak against this God because there is no other God like this that can save this way. And Nebuchadnezzar promotes these three boys with really weird names, by the way. He promotes them. And it's the last we hear about them. They're not mentioned again in Scripture. And every time I read this story, I think, I wonder what life was like after the fire. I mean, I wonder... If years later they realized how easy it would have been to have missed this whole adventure. I wonder if they lived to be old men. Maybe sat around and reminisced and talked about that moment. I wonder if they thought about how one action, one bent knee to the wrong God, and they would have missed the fourth person in the furnace. They would have missed meeting Jesus Christ. It wasn't the last time that Jesus would be in a furnace. I mean, I think he knows all about furnaces. You know, Jesus faced a furnace when he was walking on this planet. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was ahead. He was going to die on the cross. He was going to get beaten. 
ultimately sacrifice his life. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But even if it does not, not my will, your will be done. Sometimes, sometimes God delivers people from the furnace. Sometimes. But sometimes, God delivers in the furnace. Our God is able, my God is able. I don't know about you, but even if he does not, he has my full devotion, and I will worship only, only him. How about you? Our God's able, but even if he doesn't, I challenge you. Some of you, I know you're in the fire today, and I just... uh, invite you to uh, just give that to God. Maybe after service, come down, let our teams pray for you. But once you can mentally get your mind around, our God is able, changes things. Our God's able. But even if he doesn't, I will worship him anyway. That really changes things. Let's stand for a word of prayer to God. God, you are able, more than able. And God, there, this auditorium is full of people that you have knocked down the walls, you have torn them down, you have made a way when there appeared to be no way. God, you have helped us avoid many, many fires. There's testimony all over this place about that. But God, I know also there are many they've been in the furnace. God, I know that even in the furnace you promised to meet us. That there is victory, whether it's in this life or the next. Ultimately, it is victory. God, I thank you that you never let go of us. You hold us tight. You protect. You love. You defend. God, those that are maybe real close to going in the fire, maybe are in it right now. God, I pray your spirit would just speak into their life, that you would give them a calmness, that they would know that you're right there with them, that they're not alone. God, I pray you'd pull a brother or sister alongside that God, we're not alone in that fire. And God, when we step back out, out of that fire, that we would give testimony. your grace and your power and your love 
that we'd hold tight to you, even when you don't, even when we have to go through the fire. God, we give you praise with our lives, with what we say, with what we do. And all God's people said,